0: Presents Real Men of Genius.
1: Real Men of Genius.
0: Today we salute you, Mr. Pro Sports Heckler Guy.
1: Mr. Pro Sports Heckler Guy.
0: They say those who can't play, coach. Apparently, those who can't coach sit 30 rows back, shirtless, shouting obscenities. Oh, that's right, mother... Thanks to you, our team is armed with game-winning tips like catch the ball and throw it.
1: Shout it out now.
0: You stink. That sucks. What a bunch of losers. Not just catcalls, but subtle psychological ploys to prod your team to victory.
1: Reverse psychology!
0: So here's to you, oh sultan of shouting, because while there may be no I and team, thanks to you, there's always an F and a U. But Light beer at Isaac Bush, St. Louis, Missouri. From the wonderful world of sports, we bring you Home Run Derby, where each week, the leading home run hitters of the Major Leagues will compete in a home run hitting contest. You'll meet such stars as Duke Snyder, Eddie Matthews, Rocky Calavito, Ernie Banks, Mickey Mantle, Henry Aaron, Harmon Killebrew, Willie Mays, and many others.
2: John Wetland one more time set, and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez
0: down. A fastball, swung on, and it's a deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back, and it is! Get out the right breath! From high
1: atop the Robinson-Gearing Studio Complex in straight out of God's Country, Pauleys Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K-Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake
0: Robinson.
2: Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson, from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Pawleys Island, South Kagalacki, half man, half podcast machine, back into Captain Kirk's chair, shields down, photon's up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where... We collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, Steamhead Breaks? What's juicy? The 2023 Major League Baseball season is literally less than two weeks away. And the WBC is crushing the ratings and crashing those ballpark turnstiles with record attendances. But we still got these miserable, entitled Americans who want to piss all over it. But look, to my enjoyment, we actually had American ballplayers step up and call these malcontent trolls out. You know, all these two school-for-school school motherfuckers who, you know, think being an asshole is actually witty or even like a new concept. It's not. Uh, thank you, Adam Jones, Lance Lynn quarterfinals hero Trey Turner for shutting these haters down putting them in their place with the proper perspective and I'm going to have my boy Abel Rosario call in soon we'll recap this second week of the WBC and uh we're going to power rank the quarterfinals field that is dwindling down uh right now to the championship round I got the game on now it hasn't started yet it's still in the uh pre-game kind of hype deal here I see uh Trout on my TV screen a lot here, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be discussing, you know, all this that's going on, the Edwin Diaz injury, as well as that crazy Japanese win last night, so I want to get right after it this week, hello everybody, Jake the Snake Robinson, I got your hook up, holler if you hear me, I got a jam-packed show ahead of us Came, uh, you know, come on into my sandbox here, freaks. Open your kimonos. Let's get real comfortable with one another. You feel me? And, you know, I don't have the greatest voice in the world, but I'm really sorry about it this week. I literally, I, I got an umbilical hernia literally hanging out of my belly right now. And let me see uh, if I can give you a visual. It kind of looks like somebody took an avocado and tried to hammer that some bitch through my belly button. You feel me? And... If I'm being honest... <laughs> smells like crap. Nah, it doesn't smell that bad. Uh, you know, most of that punk is actually on my fingers. from playing with it all day. So, the belly button smells fine, but the fingers are a little ripe. You feel me? So, bear with me. I came to the park today, and my name was in the lineup. So, here I am, and that's the way I do it from where I'm from. Backwards K-Pod is available on all platforms. Wherever you listen to your pods... Or you can swing on over to diamondsnakejake.podbean.com to hear any of the shows in my cataloged uh, archive there. And I'll never charge you for the baseball content. No Patreon. No play-to-play crowdsourcing. I love my fans. I love what I do. This is my calling in life. And all of you freaks have made it possible. I will never charge you good brothers and good sisters Ever. And that's my word. I'm just going to keep coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke.
0: You don't want that smoke.
2: And I'm going to keep it consistent like mini Minoso, baby. So, look. Keep your chain, team heads. Here's how you help me. Any of these platforms like Apple, Spotify, Podbean, that have... Uh, they give you the opportunity to rate and review. Uh, please do so as you see fit. I ain't skirt. These rates and reviews, they keep me uh, relevant in the Google search engines. And ostensibly, it's, it's, it's how i helping be my family. Costs nothing to you. Helps me to continue to do the one thing that I truly love in this world. And that's talk the game of baseball to my audience. That has now grown to 30 countries around the world. And unquestionably... The WBC has not been stupid or meaningless for my bottom line, as BKP continues to grow international. So, with all the min- business minutia taken care of, let's get after it. Let's get my boy Rosario on the line for this first segment, and then we'll jump into the to the week's topic after that. Uh, Mr. Rosario, my brother Abel, are you there? I'm here. How are you this week, brother? Have you recovered from, like, just this, you know, manic baseball craziness that we've encountered? I mean, this tournament is just off the hinges, brother.
0: Yeah, listen, I'm not recovered yet, so I, I need a few more days to take it in about I, this, uh exciting thrillers that we would be having.
2: I hear you. And, you know, the game's... Get ready to start now. You got the guys lining up on you uh, the first base and third base lines. I know you want to get out of here and watch that. So I'm going to cut through the minutia. Um, a lot of things did go on this week. Uh, first of all, as a Mets man, uh, Edwin Diaz, uh, all these hypersensitive knee jerk reaction from you know really it's just a handful of Americans really. Um, as a Mets man, what is your take on the injury to your star closer and has the WBC uh, taking any of your season expectations out of the mainframe?
0: Uh, first of all, as a Mets fan, it hurts me that Edwin Diaz um, is out maybe for the whole year. You know, it's a, a, a complete tear of the patella tendon, so mm-hmm. that is a serious injury. And But, despite of that, we moved on to the World Baseball Classic, uh, you know, and our two, they also got hurt, as you know. That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. But, but um, the, the, the fans, the, the baseball fans are out there, and they're really loving the, the, base, the game of baseball. This World Baseball Classic has been um, a, a change, you know, a change in the world there are a lot of more people are in it. Yeah. I mean there's the record breaking viewership on on the World Baseball Classic. You know, the love of the baseball game overshadowed, you know, all the negative parts in, in this in baseball. So, I mean, as a Mets fan it hurts that you you know, your players is hurt. But as a baseball fan, you're loving this.
2: That's right. And it kind of goes back to what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, man. As long as it gets more eyes on the game, that's what I care about. And I would imagine that this will probably be the most watched baseball game in the history of mankind that's about to go down now. If not, you know, it's like going to be second most to Korea and Japan, which already was bonkers. What was that, like 70 million or something? So, seventy, Yeah, 70 million viewers. Right, right. So, I think all in all, this tournament has been outstanding. Uh, we won't get too much into it because next week we're going to break the whole thing down, talk about who wins tonight, the whole tournament. So, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Edwin uh, Diaz and some of these issues that fans may have. But, you know, last week we did the pool play WBC power rankings. Uh, this week, I wanted us to compare our quarterfinals power rankings Um and basically, we'll, I'll let you start it off, man. We'll, well, it was eight teams. We'll start from eight. I'll let you go back, and we'll see which ones we disagree with, which ones we, you know, which ones we agree with. I gotta think our lists are probably pretty close. Um, so, back by popular demand, it's the official Abel and Jake twenty twenty three WBC quarterfinals power rankings. Um, mm-hmm. All right, brother, you can start it off with your number eight team. What was your number eight team in the quarterfinals?
0: Australia. For me, number eight is Australia, but that doesn't mean it's bad. The the league in Australia started in 2009. Mm -hmm. It's growing, but this team stood tall, and we are incredibly proud of the, uh, the players in the green and gold uniform. In big moments, they deliver. Yeah. And there will be stories to tell from each player. I mean, Australia, they showed up. They're proud to be Australian, and they're proud to be baseball. Right. So Australia is number eight for me.
2: I think for Australia, when I think about Australia, I don't think that any team has... uh, Uh, gotten better since the very first inception. They, They were in the very first one. So, they've been here for all these, and that team continues to get better. I didn't have them number eight. I had them number six. Um... I think that they got some pretty good players on that team. Robbie Glenn Denning, he's in the Texas League right now. And five games, he had two home runs, six RBIs. He had a three hundred three ninety one six hundred slash. There was also first baseman Rickson Wingate. Five games, uh, six hits, home runs, seven ribs, three seventy seven four forty four six twenty five slash. I told you last week about uh, right fielder Tim Kennelly. He had a good uh, series. Logan Wade. Uh, Aaron Whitefield out in center field. So and look, I was—I tell you what—they also got a good trio of starting pitchers. They got this Mitch uh, Newborn, Kyle Gioski and Jackie O'Lackland. I really, really like Australia. I had them a little higher on my list. They were three until I thought they played in a very competitive pool play uh,
0: division. Don't, for, don't forget, don't forget Wingrove. He he hit yes. 75
2: okay. Yeah, Rick Rickson Wingrove, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Rich and Wingrove, yep. Um, so I had them number six. Who I had number eight was Cuba. Uh, they went three and three. Uh, the one thing I noticed about Cuba this year, they don't, they didn't really have a lot of power. It's diminished in a lot of ways. Uh, two home runs, the whole tournament. Mankata was out of his mind. I hope that can transfer into the season because I've been kind of disappointed in him the last couple of years. Um, he finished with 10 hits in six games uh, 415, 519, 739 slash. He was second on the team in RBIs. Uh, that second baseman, Yadi Mahika, he's a ball player too. And I was also. Pleasantly surprised with Alfredo de who, you know, I don't know how that old old that guy is. He gotta be like seventy years old. He can still hit the shit out of the ball. Three eighty three, three forty eight, four seventy six.
0: Yeah. He's thirty
2: six years old, yeah. I mean, thirty six, I mean he is put you know, and thirty six in Cuba, man, that's hard fucking years. You know what I mean? That's like forty four in, in America, right? That's that's tough years. Um and I tell you another player that I was impressed by with Cuba was Yario Rodriguez. Two starts, no record, two point four five ERA, ten strikeouts, and seven in a uh, third innings pitch, and he only gave him two hundred runs. Um so you had Australia, I had Cuba. A little bit of a difference there off the jump, so it looks like we're gonna be a little different here. Uh go ahead and, go ahead and give me number seven. Number seven for me was
0: it. uh, They have a good foundation, but um, the league in Italy that was founded in 1948, actually. You know that, right? Did you know that? It's it's a long... They've been playing baseball for the longest time. Um, But uh, I have them number eight, I mean number seven. Mm. Uh, Nicky Lopez was one of the best hitters that they had there. Uh, he uh, He was clutch for them. And Mike Piazza had the the team playing uh, hard. Uh, Matt Harvey is, you know, he had a, a couple of great starts. He did. And, uh, yes, he did. I think, you know, those those uh, uh, phenomenal experiences will help them for the future. Uh, I think they have a good, a lot of good young players also in the minor leagues and the uh, major league baseball. So, uh, I, but I have them at number seven.
2: I do too, and I also think that. Uh um, I like what Piazza did with them. I thought Piazza, after uh, Benji Gill, I thought Piazza might have been the best manager in the tournament. I thought Benji Gill was great. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I like the way Piazza had all his players... Uh, like, learn about their past, go back in their family's history, really ingratiate themselves in the community. And I think that that's going to help. I'm in a couple of Italian baseball uh, Facebook rooms, and, you know, they say the game's getting bigger, but it's still not big enough. But I would I would certainly agree with you. I think Italy is on the right path. Okay, go ahead. Who you got next?
0: I got Cuba as number six. Okay. Um, Moncada and Mojica were the best hitters during this tournament. Yes, for me. Yeah, and uh, they have a they have some good professionals uh, from from Mexico that came to play for them. Mojica mm-hmm. he played for Mexico, and also actually a Mexican, not for Mexico, but um, but this is the last game. This is probably the last game for España. Yeah, I mean,
2: <laughs> I would think so. Yeah.
0: He, he, he's a he's a, a real slugger. He, he is. Has a, he's a lot, He has a lot of international. Yes, he does. In, in, in Cuba baseball. Yeah, he if, if baseball I'm not wrong, wrong,
2: he's even got Olympic golds in his on his medal. You know yeah,
0: what I'm saying? Yeah, I was about to say. He also had. He also played in the baseball World Cup. there's the baseball. That's World right. Cup. I yeah. Know baseball. played yeah. Playing there. Mm-hmm. Intercontinental Cup. Yeah. Pan American. And the Central American and Caribbean games. He played for all that. I mean, he's an international star.
2: I think the one thing about Cuba, uh, they're built for international competition. They've been doing this for years, and they are built for tournament play. So um, I was disappointed. We both talked about it last week. We were both disappointed with them. I felt like they had a pretty easy kind of road there. I'm going to move this along. Uh, I had the Dominicans right there. Uh, The only team that disappointed me more than the Dominicans was the Netherlands. Uh, I was very disappointed in the Dominicans. Uh, They got two wins from their starters. uh, Roanzie Contreras, Christian Vasquez, uh, Alcantara. He was awful in his only start. So was Cueto. I mean, they were just god-awful. But to what you were talking about last week, that bullpen was excellent. Uh, Camilo Camilo Duvall, Hector Neris, Luis Ortiz, Diego Castillo. That was some lockdown shit. But at the end of the day, your fears proved to be right and I think that the Dominicans slipped in the rankings because of that. Uh they really, really disappointed me.
0: Right. I I I actually have them in for the next team. Okay. Uh, they're disappointed in me also. There was not a lot of clutch. Um, is, I mean, it's probably the the most impressive lineup, but they were. This, but they did not. Uh, they didn't power, man. The only guys who hit home
2: runs was uh, Machado and Soto. They hit two apiece, but no one hit any power. I expected more power out of them. Uh, Jameer Candelario, uh, Aloy Jimenez, uh, Julio Rodriguez they were they were pretty good but you know uh Devers didn't hit I mean it, it was just a real really weird kind of deal for the Dominican Republic this year I felt like
0: right right I I agree with you and uh was yeah, what was yours
2: yes that was mine and then you said that was your that was actually you had them one under uh so yeah. we're at what 5 now yes okay uh I got Puerto Rico. Uh, Are you the same as me? Yeah, I'm the same as you. Okay, so um, I really like that starting unit with Jose De Leon, uh, Fernando Cruz, and Stroman. I don't know, man. Uh, He pitches pretty good in these tournaments. I got to give him credit. Uh, The pitching as a whole was pretty Pretty good, man. Bullpen starters, not bad. Jose Barrios, on the other hand, he was pretty fucking awesome. Awful. Uh, Javi Baez, he put up some numbers. 368 batting average, four runs, six ribs, and five games. Christian Vasquez slashed uh, hit 333. I really liked what uh, Enrique Hernandez and Frankie Lindor were doing. And I told you last week, man, the Puerto Ricans die slow. And. I will probably never doubt that baseball team ever again.
0: No, me neither. Um, I'm with you there. I have them in my next uh, in, in the ranking. But, um, yeah, Francisco Lindor showed up for this uh, team. Uh, he was clutch. That inside the park home run was mm. the mo- one of the most exciting moments in Puerto Rico history. <laughs> and, um, and also, Javi Baez played very good with right. him um but the, you know the most devastating moment was uh, Edwin Diaz while the, well, they're celebrating but uh in spite of that Puerto Rico is still uh there and they're going to be always be there in the in the next uh, world baseball classic uh because uh they also have young players that is coming up strong too for Puerto Rico right
2: uh that was your what's that your five
0: correct yeah and I'm going to fourth.
2: Okay, go ahead and do four. Give
0: me your four. Uh, my fourth team is Venezuela. I'm right I there with I you. I picked them to go all the way to the finals. Right. And I was wrong, but I'm going uh, to put them there our fourth. Uh, Eugenio Perez, uh, Suarez and Salvador Perez were uh, two of the best hitters that they had. and uh, You know, actually, when I was researching them, I uh, they have a, a good history of baseball. They have a great uh, history. They they started they they founded the league in 1945 actually in South America, oh. and they they have um, they exploded in baseball in the 1940s and when there was a World Championship in Havana, Cuba. They went there and they they appeared and they attracted many ballplayers from the Caribbean. Oh. So. You know, it, it goes way back. Right. And now, you know, it's showing right now, you know, based on the roots, they, a lot of Venezuelans are really paying right now, you yeah. know, from their fathers, grandpas. Right. You know, they, there's a lot of, uh, of good baseball in Venezuela, and we're going to see more of that in the future.
2: I agree. And and to be honest with you, they, they've quietly been a very good baseball nation throughout. I mean, um they probably have one of the greatest shortstop traditions in all of Latin America, quite honestly. Uh going back to Aparicio. So, you know, I I really love the Venezuela team. My boy said Tander. I mean, he showed out, brother. I hope that carries over into the season. Uh you already mentioned Perez. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, he was great, Jimenez, uh, David Peralta, all those dudes balled out. I was really impressed with Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lazardo, they were both outstanding, and I was disappointed in Martin Perez. I I don't feel like he carried his load. He had an 0-0 record in two starts with a 9.82 ERA. So yeah, we're both in agreement there. I got a feeling we're probably both in agreement number three, and I got Mexico. Um, I, you too. Yep. Right on. Well, I, I I already told you. I think Benji Gill was one of the uh, the best tactical managers of the twenty. Uh, he pushed almost all the right buttons. that felt like uh, Sandoval, Taiwan, Walker, Ho, uh, Jose Arquidi. They were awesome. Uh, staff base. Julio Arias, he struggled, that was kind of a surprise, I figured he would carry them, uh, he surprised me the way Al Quintero surprised me in his one, uh, showing there, Jojo Ramiro, out of the bully, he was outstanding, and that team can match Joey Manassas. uh, Isaac Paredes, Rowdy Talese, Luis Riez with his broken back style, Austin Barnes, and of course, that fucking rock star out in left field, Randy Orozarena. Well, what's your read uh, on Rose? Yeah, look, bro, I got to tell you, one of the best stories is how a Re- Rosarina is actually Cuban he defected from his country and he adopted Mexico as his homeland and that dude is so proud to wear the Mexican green and red man. it's a great story
0: he's also a citizen in Mexico he's also a citizen in Mexico yes absolutely I yes. just they adopted him
2: and I go back to what you were saying last last week that you know as Mexico got deeper and deeper and deeper they played with more confidence Gil was making those moves, and they just came in any short last night. That's all, man. They got nothing to hang their head about whatsoever. What's your take on Mexico?
0: Um, so I'm gonna I'm tell you a little bit of history of Mexican baseball. Okay, uh, you know, and, uh, I, I mean, they, I think the Mexican league and the, and the professional baseball league, they. Uh, based in uh in mexico they're the oldest running professional league in the country did you know did you Never ever know that i did not so now
2: wait not, a so they're, they're older like than the major the leagues party.
0: are you saying they're older than the major leagues no i'm talking about the mexican league in mexico okay that's the oldest running baseball league in the country okay i got in you Me- in 19, they founded in 1925. Mm-hmm. You can look it up. The league has, eight, you know, 18 teams. They're organized, but um, even more than soccer. I mean, they're older than soccer. Wow! I'm telling you. Wow! Uh, way back.
2: That's amazing.
0: Uh, they, uh, they play 114 games each season. Um, so, uh, but Mexico has uh, a lot of players that we don't know of. And I think they have a great future. There's a lot of Mexicans in the minor leagues in, uh, in America. And also in many in the uh, in, in MLB. Uh, but I just want to say, Arozarena carried that team. Mm. I, I understand that. But the combination of, of him with the other Mexican players, yeah. that was a good combination. That's why they were in the semifinals. No
2: doubt. I mean, all those guys added something. Taliz, Arias, all those guys, unfucking believable And I'm going to tell you, they didn't blink once to Japan. I, I was nervous. I really was. I was I was sitting here on pins and needles, and uh, I thought maybe it might be a bad thing that Otani uh, had to lead off that inning, but it, it, it worked out. But I'm going to tell you, it was close. Oh, my God, look at Mike Trout. He's already going to work. He's got a double here in the first. Right, right. Good, good God. <laughs> Alright, I know the game is on, so let's get down to the nitty gritty. We're down to the final two. And it can only be two teams, so who do you have at number two? And I'll tell you if I have that person at number two.
0: Uh, I you know, despite the, the, the greatest lineup that America ever had, I have them at number two.
2: I know it's what well. uh,
0: you know you know, Trey Turner is you know, he just signed a three hundred million dollar contract and he's the ninth ninth in the batting lineup. Yeah. So that's how good they oh. are. They are phenomenal. They are
2: absolutely phenomenal. They are they are like the the 1992 NBA dream team that went to Barcelona. That's that's what they that's,
0: are. Yeah, and, and the players like Real Muto and and, and uh, of course uh, uh, Trey Turner uh, uh, Trout. They showed up in this tournament. Um, their pitching coach Andy Pettit, is a legend. Yeah, uh, in the he has the most wins in playoff history. He's the pitching coach, and he, you know, he did a good job. You know, based on, you know, the the pitching for the USA is not as deep, but he did a great job and coaching them. And Ken Griffey Jr., of course, yeah. coaching the hitters, so he doesn't have to coach them because they, you know, they're yeah. already good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I'll tell you what, DeRosa's done a good. Big, they come up with big hits. They do, and DeRosa...
2: Has been a good, has been a good, has done a good job. Uh, I think the only mistake that I really thought he made was starting Nick Martinez in that first game. But other than that, I think he's been pretty much spot on. Now we both have him at number two, so we both have Japan at number one. We can talk about both of these teams at the same time. Uh, I think you know what you're looking at here is. You know, is it is your baseball philosophy, are you taking the team that has superstars up and down the up and down the line? Which let look, Japan is stacked too, for as you know, as far as the Japan equivalency is concerned, it's probably the most stacked Japanese team ever. But I feel like the Japanese have you know, put it this way when Otani was on second and they put Shuto on first base and mm-hmm. uh well, first of all, let me tell you this. This is funny. I think you probably know uh, Jorge Huertas, uh your your Mets compadre. There, uh, we were actually talking, <laughs> watching the game, and I told him, I said, "We're going into the top to that inning, to the bottom of the inning." I said, uh, "I like, you know, I like the fact that Otani's starting it off, but I'm really worried about Murakami because he's been the one guy that has." disappointed me for Japan. Like, no one on that Japanese squad has disappointed me, and he looked really bad against Sandoval and those other left-handers at the beginning of the game yesterday. But um, that's, what I,
0: that's what I said, too. I mean, Murakami's coach even said that he never had a slump like this.
2: Right? It's the worst this guy has ever played. And I truly was going into this tournament like, I can't wait for America to see this dude, because he's a beast in real fucking life, man. And uh, so I I, I said to him, I said, I don't know, man. It's just, I don't even understand why this guy's still batting behind Otani. And the next dude, well, first of all, let me tell you this. When they put Shuto on first base... I knew that dude was scoring. As soon if this ball is gonna get to the hole anywhere in the outfield, is gonna score. Cause he was born for that shit. And that's the difference right there. I think Japanese has more pieces for their machine, and I think the United States just wants to bash you into submission. Now, they're both scary ways to face, but I'm gonna go with the team concept here, but you know, this is truly a coin flip here. It truly is a coin flip between two outstanding baseball teams.
0: I agree with you. And I want to mention two more players. Okay. Uh, Yoshida with a club team on home. Yes, sir. Uh, think, and the Red Sox think highly of him. Yes. I think he's going to a great year. I think he has a good chance to be Rookie of the Year. And Sasaki, I know the, the picture. Uh, he's, 20, right? yes, he's only twenty twenty one, right? Yeah, uh, he's only twenty one, dude. He has a few more years to be uh, available for the United yeah. States. Yeah, he has a great future. He pitches great. He's an ace in the making. No I doubt. Think Japan, I mean, Japan has has their players.
2: And bro, I'm telling you, Yashinabu Yamato. This kid is ridiculous. He's going to be in the major leagues in a couple years. Remember that name, yashinabu Yamamoto. But, uh, okay, so there we have it, man. We got our top eight power rankings, man. I love doing this with you. So we're going to get together next week, and we're going to wrap up the whole tournament, right? Yes, sir. All right, brother. I'm going to let you go and enjoy it. The Japanese went down uh, with no scores in the first Meryl Kelly. Uh, I'm sorry, the United States went down. They didn't score any runs in the first. Uh, Meryl Kelly. I kind of like this matchup for my team. We'll see what happens, buddy. We'll have a lot to talk about next week, okay? All right, enjoy. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I will look forward to talking to you next week. All right. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. And so, there you have it, folks. Uh, I mean, and it's so true. I I just hope that this game lives up to the hype. I I really think it's going to. I think this game is going to be classic. And I know people all around the world are watching this right now. And with the championship game going on right now, we got uh, Shohei Otani on first base with that beast, Yoshida at the plate. Uh, Merrill Kelly is... Working it. Strike three looking. Good pitch right there by Kelly. So, we're going to go to the top of the second. No score. And, uh, you know, thanks to uh, Rosario for calling in right there. Dropping off that 2023 WBC quarterfinals power rankings. And uh, he's going to be back in the crib next week. We're going to wrap this puppy up. So, look. I'm going to take a break, pay some bills. When we get back, we're going to dig into this week's topic, the Home Run De- uh, der- the Home Run Derby TV show here at Backwards k where we collect ballplayers and their stories. I'll see you guys on the other side of the break. Please support my sponsors. I'd rather you support them than have me charge you for the content. We'll be right back. Thank you.
1: This is Big Tex Gage Dean, executive producer of Backwards K-Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boy. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fish and Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish and then washed my hands with regular soap only to touch my eyes half an hour later and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no Bay spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner, specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods, perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks, and one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets, crushing big bowls of shellfish, or fishing on the banks of your favorite river, while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There is also a Buffalo Wing Hand Cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.CrawfishHandCleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290. To support... The grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show That's CrawfishHandcleaner.com or 713 or 290 To prepare for your summer shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning, crawfish handcleaner.com.
2: My brother Abel Rosario for calling in to talk WBC. I love talking international sports with that dude. He is a font of information and takes. And he really cares about global sports. Thanks Abe. And uh, how about Big Tex giving you the inside skinny... On Laparo's Crawfish Hand Cleaner. Got the fishing hand cleaner, the crab hand cleaner in the mail. What an amazing product. I just got a package of it. And, well, you know, I live that salt life. We do a lot of fishing and crabbing here at Pawleys Island, South Cagalacky. And I can't wait to break it open, share it with the other fishermen and crabbers. And like Pod Squatch told you in that spot... The founder of this brand is my former neighbor, Shipmate, from back in the day. He's more than a sponsor. He's my brother. And I'm telling you, if shit ever went down domestically, I mean, I literally trust this dude with my survival. We're bound by honor and brotherhood for life. God forbid it ever came to, you know, like an invasive scenario, but uh, we would kill to protect one another. And we would make the ultimate sacrifice if we had to. That's ironclad. That's the dude who is paying the bills around here. So, by all means, support him, the way he supports this show, and the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Okay, so, a little different format than usual this week. we still got our topic of the week to to, uh, dissect here at Backwards K-Pod, as this week, I'm going to talk about the 1960s hit television show, Home Run Derby. And as a kid in the 70s, I remember watching, uh, you know, the syndicated rerun of this show. And I sometimes wonder why, why MLB Network doesn't do a reboot of this show. I love the MLB Network. I, I believe it's one of the most... Game-changing innovations to baseball here in the 21st century. But it could be better. It could. They've already made ESPN obsolete for me. Uh, It's a powerhouse media brand. But it could still be so much better, especially in the offseason. But I'm going to stick a pin in that. I'll circle the wagons around to make my point of that eventually. So it looks like that catcher is ready to come down right on the bag. That's where we want it, baby. That's right where we want it. The infield is now throwing that ball around. And if I could get all of you off the platform and into my time travel show, I'm calling all aboard. Uh-huh. And we will be setting our destination and date for December of 1959, Hollywood, California. And decades before the Home Run Derby became an MLB fixture during All-Star Week, Willie Mays had hit four home runs in the top of the first before Mickey Mantle ever stepped to the plate. In a brand new, made-for-television showdown, the Home Run Derby. That The Home Run Derby TV show. Now, the Home Run Derby that we all love or love today uh, actually made its creative debut on fertile Hollywood soil, the Home Run Derby TV show was filmed at LA's Wrigley Field, the former home of the PCL Los Angeles Angels, and it would also house the MLB Angels in their first year of expansion in 1961. And. I didn't really find out it was filmed in L.A. Wrigley uh, you know, until many years later. And for me, the stadium held an almost mysterious quality about it. The host in the show, Mark Scott, he never once mentioned the stadium's name or the South, Carolina, uh, South California locale. And Mark was more than just the host of the show. He was one of the innovative, creative minds behind this wildly popular TV show. Mark Scott, born in Chicago, Illinois, 1915. He was a stellar athlete who excelled in track, baseball, football, basketball. Unfortunately, a horrific knee injury playing football for the Illini ended his athletic aspirations. And after the injury, he began working in broadcasting. He landed his first gig in Norfolk, Virginia. And during the day, he did did recreations of MLB games and For anyone confused about what a recreation is, basically, Mark would do a recreation play-by-play of a game that was played the night before. And this was a common practice in the 30s and 40s. In fact, our former president, Ronald Reagan, held this position with the Chicago Cubs for a few seasons. And besides doing these daily recreations, he also did live play-by-play broadcasting for the Norfolk minor league baseball team. Mark met his wife, Dorothy, in Virginia. And during the 1951 honeymoon in Havana, he met J.G. Taylor Spink, the publisher of the Sporting News. And Scott, with his new wife, Intel, he admitted he was looking for a larger platform, a larger market for him to broadcast in. And Spink suggested that he holler at the owner of the Hollywood star's And Hollywood's famous Brown Derby restaurant, a Mr. Bob Cobb. So, Mark would follow the suggestion of Mr. Spink. And be hired shortly thereafter to call games for the Stars beginning during the 1952 season. As the voice of the Stars... Mark would rise in prominence, and he was well-known amongst the Hollywood circle of entertainers. While he was doing Stars games, he was also freelancing his oratory skills out, calling boxing matches, horse racing, dog racing, and he also hosted a 15-minute radio show at KFWB called Mark Scott's Press Box. When the Dodgers moved to L.A. in 1958, Scott became the host of uh, the Meet the Dodgers television show, and as his stock rose in on the 1950s Hollywood scene, he began receiving acting opportunities, usually appearing as a broadcaster or a narrator in a film. Among his credits were The Kid from Left Field, Killer from Space, The Harder They Fall. As well as a uh, cameo appearance in Somebody Up There Likes Me. Which was a sports biopic with Paul Newman playing former boxing great Rocky Graziano. And one of Mark's good friends on the Hollywood scene was Lou Bresla. Man, Trey Turner just went yard again. I mean... Can anyone stop this guy? It's unbelievable. That's like five home runs in this tournament, isn't it? It's crazy. But I digress. So Mark meets a Lou Bresla. And Bresla was a writer, producer, and director with an impressive resume of movies and television shows to his credit. He had worked on films with the Marsh Brothers, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, The Three Stooges, among others. And while he mostly worked in comedy, he did go outside his comfort zone and dabble in sports films. During the 1930s, he wrote and produced highly acclaimed short films that featured Babe Ruth. By the late 1950s, Breslow was mainly working in television. And that's when he came up with the idea for Home Run Derby. The premise was simple. Every week, you have two Major League Baseball sluggers face off, one-on-one, to see who can hit the most home runs. You play for nine innings, unless it goes into extras. Every home run hit over the fence is a home run, and you get a point. Any ball not hit over the fence is an out. You don't have to swing at every pitch, but if the umpire calls a strike, it's an out. And with this format, and with the expert editing, it was figured these shows could easily be completed in a half hour. So Breslow would share his idea with Mark Scott and a few TV executives and production staff people. And the group would then go on to form Homer Productions. Lou Breslow would be the executive producer. And Mark Scott would host as well as be the baseball creative idea guy to bring this brainchild to the American television sets. And while most agreed, the Home Run Derby concept seemed like a great idea. It wasn't the type of show you would see on ABC, NBC, or CBS. So Breslow and the group, they turned to Ziv Television Productions. that Z-I-V. Ziv. And they were a company which specialized in distributing Top shelf liquor shows to the local stations across the United States. And this is the early days of television syndication. During its mid-1950s peak, uh, Zim was producing over 250 half hours of episodic television shows a year. The company was known for tight production schedules, which makes sense when you're producing over 250 shows annually. And... They were known to work within modest budgets. Breslow and Scott did their best to be fiscally responsible. The prize money for the ballplayers consisted of two thousand dollars for the winner. Which, uh oh, I think Japan just tied it up, baby. Is that uh, Murakami? Yes, it is. My dude is smoking hot now. He's out of his slump. You better watch out. That dude is a beast. Tied up one-to-one. Good job. Good job. Hopefully this game is going to live up to the hype. Bottom of the second. One-to-one. No outs. Murakami just dropped dong all over America Carol's lips. Uh, where was I? Uh, two grand for the winner. Two grand in 1960. And it has the purchasing power of around $20,000 in the 2023 economy. And the loser would walk away with a grand or 10k to debt. If a player hit three consecutive home runs, then he would earn an additional $500, which again is $5,000 to So a big chunk of change for the times, especially when you consider the World Series 1960 uh, Pirates' World Series winning share was $8,417.94. But by 1960s TV standards, it wasn't over ge- overly generous, and Homer Productions found other ways to cus- c- cut cost. Apart from a very small production crew, the cast consisted of Scott, a home plate umpire, two foul line umps, two pitchers, a catcher and a few dudes to shag flies in the outfield. The cost of using Wrigley was capped by filming two episodes a day. The players would uh, usually be flown into L.A. the day prior to the filming, and then flown back home the night of the shoot, unless the player is a returning champ for the next show. Mark Scott would use his personal contacts through uh, the PCL to recruit other cast members, and one of those was pitcher uh, Tom Sapple, a former Major League outfielder who was playing for the Hollywood Stars when Scott approached him about being on the show. Behind the plate, you had Eddie Malone catching. Uh, he also called for the Stars from 1952 to 1954. Art Passarella, former AL Arbiter, was the home plate umpire, and Passarella, like Scott, He dabbled in acting as well. He starred in the movie version of the Broadway hit Damn Yankees, as well as Zim produced TV show Sea Hunt. And after the Home Run Derby run, Passarelli starred as Sergeant Sokovich in the hit police drama The Streets of San Francisco with Carl Malden and Michael Douglas. And... Scott was amazing at lining up these MLB stars to participate. Of the 20 MLB players to hit 20 more dongs in the 1959 season, only four of those cats didn't get booked. Joe Adcock, Orlando Cepeda, Woody Held, and Charlie Maxwell. 15 of the 16 teams were represented, the White Sox being the only team left in the cold. That was uh, uh, they're the only one that did, didn't participate. Uh, 1959, the Go-Go White Sox, they had no players with more than 22 home runs, and that lone player with 22 was catcher Sherm Lawler. Uh, the show began filming in December of 1959. The 26 competitors completed the show in a three-week period, while the production staff stuck tight to their two-episodes-a-day shoot. Scott would open each show, telling the audience the simple rules of the format, as well as the prize for winning, losing, bonus home runs. And he would also explain that the pitcher who gave up the most home runs would also receive a bonus check as well. While one slugger was in the box doing his thing, the other would sit with Scott, engage in a conversation, and talk baseball. Scott would call the action, and while the, the conversation was, you know, certainly bland by today's standards, uh, the contests themselves were mostly entertaining. In the series opener, Willie Mays led Mickey Mantle eight to two, but Mantle, batting right-handed, came back to win it nine to eight with a walk-off dong in the bottom of the ninth. Mantle would return as champ for the first show. Uh, from that first show, he would beat Ernie Banks and then Jackie Jensen before Senator Sluggers Harmon Killebrew ended Mickey's run by the score of ninety eight nine to eight. The show hit the airwaves in April 1960. And while Scott had his critics, his simple approach became part of the show's charm. He always came off as enthusiastic about the competition playing out in front of him. And he works hard at injecting that passion through the audience. And, okay, that's just a long fly but We're, we're timing this dude, man. I'm telling you. Uh, so, you know, he had his critics... Uh, But he had a lot of passion, enthusiasm for the competition. He took it serious, and uh, it worked hard, you know, making the audience, you know, love it. The show was an instant hit, and it was surely going to be back in 1961. Unfortunately, that was not the case. On July 30th, 1960, Mark Scott suffered a heart attack and died in Burbank, California, at the age of 45. Without its hosts and the show's driving force, the show was not renewed for a second season. And like a shooting stars beating across the baseball universe, it was gone as quick as it came. Fortunately, the story didn't end there. 30 years later, the short-lived TV show returned to television when ESPN acquired the rights to the show. In 1989, ESPN found us uh, Gen Xers to be quite accepting audience of this show. The show had another successful run on the Classic Sports Network, and the entire 26-episode season was made available on DVD by MGM Home Entertainment in 2007. And folks, that is the story of the Home Run Derby TV show. And it probably would have been a shortstop pod if we didn't have that you know, WBC update, right? But, I want to thank you for stopping by this week. I hope you loved hearing it as much as I enjoyed telling the story. I promise to try and be better next week. A lot of cool video on YouTube. Almost every episode of that season is on there. And I really enjoy watching Mickey, Willie, Hank, Harmon, the Duke, Mr. Cub, Prank. All these dudes in their prom competing with one another. It's awesome. And for the life of me, I can't believe there isn't a reboot on that. I'd love to be the host. I mean, yeah, look, my style's a little different than Mark's, right? I'm a little more bombastic, let's say. I'm coming in hot. Every offseason, MLB Network plays these reruns all day with an occasional movie, like eight men out with like 59 fucking commercials. And if you heard my Oriole Park at Cammy Yard show, I told you how Orioles executive Larry Lucchino, the visionary behind the game-changing crib, he had a philosophy that sometimes baseball needs to go, uh, needs to take serious. And his philosophy was, baseball needs to go back to its roots to save itself from itself. And I believe in that theory. I think that's you know, true. In a lot of cases, MLB Network should really work on programming in the off season. Reboot shows like Baseball Bunch and the Home Run Derby. Try things. How about a week of Neil DeGras- uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson show on the science of baseball? How about something like NFL's Hard Knocks, but with spring training baseball? Now, I'm not going to give you all, you know, my ideas I have for free, but. I'm here when you want to get serious about that all-season program, for real. I want to see Adley Rushman versus Otani, like yesterday, on television. MLB Network needs to make baseball a 24-7, 365-day-year business the way football does with the NFL. I'm a firm believer that television and digital mediums are the only way to promote the game in the 21st century. So, Before I break out, it looks like I'm going to have surgery to remove an umbilical hernia I have lodged inside my stomach. I plan to drop our bonus LTBPM throwback draft slash manager's death pool on Saturday, but that's not looking likely. And you guys know I don't miss deadlines. I was worried about today, but I'm a disciple of Ripken. My name was in the lineup and I came to play. Period. That's how we do it in B-More. So, look, folks. That may get moved back just a couple days. Let me see how I feel Saturday after having someone's hands inside of my body. Not in a sexy way either. You feel me? So, bear with me. I promise to get those managers' names to you and the results of the throwback draft from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook group page before opening day. I mean... Unless I die on the table, in which case, I love every single one of you. Well, I love most of you. Look, a lot of you are very nice people, and let's leave it at that, okay? I'll expect Ozzy Cruz to keep the vision going at the LTBPN. And to find my replacement here at BKP, the show must go on. There are still so many places in this beautiful marble that need the gospel of baseball. So many stories to be told. Uh, somebody please ar- erase the search history on my laptop, scrub my phone please if something happens. I don't need my daughter to see that shit. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, it's really weird when you sign paperwork that says, look, you could die. And if you do, it ain't our fault, so deal with it. Maybe if I die, the the show blows up. And I can probably get some fucking Twitter and YouTube followers in this motherfucker. Maybe some goddamn rate reviews posthumously for crying out loud. You can find me on Twitter at back underscore K underscore podcast. Our Instagram and YouTube channel is backwards Pod. But the core of my Man army resides at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook group page... And that shit is bully, mate. Real deal Holyfield shit. I built it from four people in the beginning. And now it's built to last like the Great Pyramids of Giza. So, by all means. You want to find me? I'm real easy to find. Go to the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private Facebook group page. So, this is your fearless leader, Jake the Snake Robinson, letting you all know. It's been an honor to be your captain. Thank you for your support. And with the Home Run Derby TV show in my rear view mirror getting smaller and smaller, I chop the head off of our baseball hydra, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Next week. Let's see. What do we got next week? I got to look at the cam uh, calendar here. Next week, you know... Well, look, as long as I ain't worm food, we'll be discussing the history of the world champion Houston Astros. And starting last year, I began a tradition going into opening day of breaking down the history of the defending world champs, which means last year I did the history of the Braves and this year will be the Astros. And the only thing more colorful than those 1980 uniform, uh, 1980s uniforms is their history. From the cold 45 days and those crazy dope uniforms to all the close but no cigar seasons. The tragedy of my friend JR. The science stealing scandal. The world championships here in the 21st century. I'm going to cover it all here at Backwards K-Pop. Where we collect ballplayers and your stories. Parents if you see your kid sitting on the couch looking bored AF. By all means take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the debt. And like my boy Shay Hillenbrand told me in our 101 you go to hell Andy Pettit. See you next week Team Eds. Peace.